Exodus chapters 35 to 39. I'll be reading 35 and the first eight verses of 36. Hear the word of the Lord. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall, not, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of the burnt offering, with its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were willing, of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns, or fine linen or goat's hair, or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for wood in every skilled craft. For he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or a designer or by an embroiderer in blue, in purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. 
or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come stirred him up to come to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were here for the sermon on Exodus 25 to 31, which was about all the pieces of the tabernacle, and I guess uh, if we have the next slide that has the... You may remember this the pieces of the tabernacle. Uh, you remember that I began that sermon by talking about books that alternate between narrative and description, uh, so like Le Miserable or like uh, Como Agua para Chocolate in Spanish, or uh, there is uh, one by uh, James Michener about Mexico and bullfighting. And these, these books alternate between the narrative, the story, the plot, and the uh, Moby Dick is another, another famous one. And then a description. In Moby Dick's case, it's whaling. And it talks about different aspects of whaling. And I suggested, maybe incorrectly, that those descriptions are interruptions to the plot. Whereas in, it may be that the whole point of the book are those descriptions, and the plot is what gets you to continue reading so that you learn more about the theme. Uh, in the case of James Michener's book on Mexico, I had no interest in bullfighting. I've never been to a bullfight. And uh, if you ask me today what the book was about, what the plot of the book was about, I can't remember the plot of the book very well. But I can remember some aspects and details about bullfighting. And by the end of the book, I was actually tempted to go see a bullfight. And so it worked. So it looks like the point of the book was not whatever the storyline was, which I can't remember very well, but the point of the book was to teach about bullfighting. Exodus is something like that. Exodus has this alternating pattern between the story and the description of the tabernacle and the priestly garments. But before we look at that, I want to give you, as we're coming near the end, let me give you a, a simple outline of the book of Exodus. We have, first of all, the narrative of rescue. Exodus means going out, and that's what we have in the first 19 chapters. We have the plagues, and we have the leaving, the crossing of the Red Sea, and, and the coming to the Mount Sinai. And that's the first 19 chapters, so it's the, the rescue of Israel from Egypt. 
And then we have, in chapters 20 to 24, this is where, where all those laws were. This is the book of the covenant. These are the, the, uh, the terms of the covenant. Then we have that long section that we looked at between 25 and 31, where it talks about these pieces here behind me, the, the pieces of the, the tabernacle that Moses received. He received this pattern on Mount Sinai and uh, the priestly garments as well. And then we have this narrative. We go back to narrative, and it's the narrative we've been looking at these last few weeks, the narrative of the failure of Israel. Do you remember the, the golden calf? the failure of Israel, and then the forgiveness of Israel. And then we go back to the same thing that we saw in chapters 25 to 31. But this time it's no longer the pattern, it's the actual making of the tabernacle and the priestly garments in chapters 35 to 40. And so roughly, roughly a third of the book of Exodus, a third of the book of Exodus is about the tabernacle and the priestly garments. And that suggests in addition to the fact that, that uh, chapter 40 is the culmination of the book, it's the high point of the book in the last chapter, and, and it's focused on the tabernacle and it's focused on the priest, and that suggests that the whole point of the book is about God's presence with his people. And so the, the intervening chapters that we've been looking at, the narrative chapters between 32 and 34 about Israel's sin and forgiveness, that may not be the main point. That may be an interruption to the main point. The main point really may be that God will dwell among his people. And chapters 32 to 34 put that in doubt. Would God, in fact, dwell among his people, a people so sinful that they would make and bow down to golden idols? After some discussion in chapters 32 and 33, God decided... God declared that he would, in fact, dwell with his people. And then last week we saw that the covenant was renewed. And so it was a restart. The covenant was, was confirmed in chapter 24, and then in chapter 34 the covenant is renewed. And so now the temple can pick up once again. Are you with me, or did I, did I, did I make this more confusing than it needs to be? Um, look at this. this. This could be helpful. If you read the end of chapter 31... The end of chapter 31, the Lord gives the Sabbath sign to the people in verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And if you jump over 32, 33, and 34 and keep reading, it says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them at the beginning of 35, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. You see how smoothly that goes? So he tells them about the Sabbath. Moses receives the, the covenant. He goes down and he speaks to the people about what? About what God just told him the Sabbath. And so we see that 32 to 34 are the interruption to this, this story that is, that is really focused on the tabernacle and the priestly garments. Now, um, chapters 35 to 40 are often a word-for-word -word repetition of chapters 25 to 31. So here's the pattern, and here's the making 
of that which was patterned. So here's the architectural design, and here's the, the pattern for the priestly garments, and then we have almost word-to-word sometimes the making of those in the chapters we're looking at today. There are some additions, there's some omissions, the reasons for which are not always clear, but what we have is actually in some ways a more logical progression in the chapters we're looking at. The second account, the second time through, it proceeds from the tabernacle to those who would fill the tabernacle, the priests, to the one who would fill the tabernacle, the Lord. So it's the tabernacle, the priests who fill the tabernacle, and then the Lord in chapter 40 who fills the tabernacle. Now, let's look a little more in detail at the section I read today, because here there is a fascinating alternating pattern, alternating pattern. And the alternating pattern is between two things that were given, offerings and workers, offerings and workers. And picking up in verse 4, it starts with offerings. Moses called for offerings from the people. Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded in verse 4, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze and, and so on and so on. So we have this call for offerings. And then we have another call. In verses 10 to 19, Moses gave another call, and this call was for skillful workers. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And then there's that long list of all the different pieces. We have a summary between 11 and 19 of the various pieces of the temple, uh, the tabernacle and the, the priestly garments. And then we have response to the first call, in verses 20 to 29, in response to the first call, the people brought abundant offerings. Uh, verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of God, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. And then we have, in response to the second call, in verses 30 uh, of chapter 35 up to 36, verse 2, in response to the second call, we have God raising up two master craftsmen who were the leaders of all the workers who were going to work on the tabernacle. Look at verse 30. It says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Benjamin. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and so on. And uh, all the way down to, to uh, verse 2 of chapter 36. But in 36, 1, it says, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence. So we have call for contributions, contributions given, call for workers, workers raised up. And then it continues. We have in verses uh, 3 to 7 of chapter 36, Moses taking those offerings and handing them over to the workers. So here's the connection uh, in verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. Here the offerings and the workers come together. And then with the offerings in hand in chapter 38, verse 8, all through the rest of this section. All the way up to the end of 39, we have the workers beginning and completing the construction 
of the tabernacle. And if you read, they did the tabernacle, chapter uh, 36, the ark, 37, also the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, and then into 38, the, bur- the altar of burnt offering, the bronze offering, the court, the materials uh, are listed at the end of 38, and then 39, the priestly garments, all the things that we looked at briefly uh, before in 25 to 31. Now, we see an amazing response here, and imagine the satisfaction, the satisfaction of this. This was the Lord's meeting place, and this was the Lord's meeting place for a long time. It eventually, we don't know what happened to it, it just wore out probably, or was lost, or was taken, or broken, we don't know. It was eventually replaced by a a more permanent building. But imagine the joy of contributing something that would be in the presence of the Lord. Or contributing work that would, would construct the place where the Lord would meet with his people. Imagine, for example, you had a precious stone, and you contributed that precious stone. And that precious stone ended up on the, the ephod of the priest. So that stone that you gave was taken in once a year to the presence of God himself. Or maybe you were a woman who, who was able to spin the yarn and to make the fabric, and that fabric made its way into the holy of holies. So the work of your hands and would, be, would be there in the presence of God. Imagine the satisfaction of doing that. Now, um, sometimes churches and pastors appeal to this history and to other examples of temple building, We have two other examples of temple building. We have when Solomon built the temple to replace the tabernacle that had had fallen away. And then that temple was knocked down. And then we have that temple being rebuilt after the exile in Babylon uh, under the leadership of Ezra. And so we have two more temple buildings in the Old Testament. Now, sometimes pastors use these when there's a building campaign in their church. And um, that application falls very short. It falls very short. Uh, Because the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple is much bigger than the meeting places of local churches. And so it's it's actually the wrong connection to make. There are, though, in the New Testament, three fulfillments of the tabernacle and the temples. Because what is the tabernacle? It's where God dwells with his people. And in the New Testament, we find, and we've mentioned these before, but I I bring them together here. There are three fulfillments, at least, of this, three major fulfillments. The first one is Jesus Christ himself. And we have noted the language that that John uses in John 1.14. The word, referring to Jesus as the word, the word became flesh and tented among us, tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. We have also noted how Paul uses this temple language, and he says the church. The church is the temple of God. In in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you all, plural, you all, the church, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells with you. Do you hear the language there? 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you all are that temple. And then there is the final manifestation, and we read it in our New Testament reading today, where John in Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice of the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, or tabernacle, of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so to apply this to a church's building program falls very, very short of the, of the fulfillment of, of the tabernacle. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, dwelling with us. The Holy Spirit dwelling within the gathered assembly, the church. And God in the new heavens and the new earth with no longer a need for the temple because everything, once again, is the tabernacle, is the temple where God is with his people. Even so, if we go back to our text, we find that these two simple elements are necessary to build up the tabernacle today. Not the building, but the church. If we are the tabernacle, if we are the temple, and the job is to build that that tabernacle, the same two elements are necessary and always have been necessary to build up the tabernacle of God. And those are offerings and workers. Offerings and workers. Now, when we go back to Exodus, we find that the offerings were so overwhelmingly abundant that they had to be stopped. In verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. And then if you look at verses 4 to 7 of chapter 36, the workers, they left their work because there was a crisis. Usually when the workers leave their work, what's the crisis? There aren't enough materials. We can't keep going. But the, the, the crisis was the opposite crisis. They were getting inundated with too many materials. And so it says they left their work. They went to Moses and say, Moses, please, we cannot carry on like this. Things cannot keep going like this. There is just too much stuff, too many materials. And so Moses gave an order, a command that went out in the camp and says, don't bring anything more. It's too much already. Now, the workers, the offerings were there. The workers, as we've seen, anticipate, especially Bezalel and Aholiab, They anticipate what we find in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. It says God gave them the Holy Spirit, and he gave them gifts for service. And so we have this combination of abundant offerings and this combination of people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, we see offerings. But since there's no more physical structure, yes, we need meeting places, but the meeting places is is not the tabernacle, it's not the temple. Uh, the, The church is the people of God. So it's no longer that the offerings go specifically to a building. 
And there's also no longer a priesthood anymore, although there is a ministry that needs to be sustained. Offerings in the New Testament do two things, mainly. Contribute to the extension of the gospel around the world, the carrying on of gospel ministry here and to the ends of the earth, and for the relief of poor members of the church. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about the contributions there, and he says, he uses Old Testament language, and he says, these are offerings, these are sacrifices to the Lord. And what's he talking about? He's talking about missionary contributions. Paul was a missionary. They were contributing to him, the Philippians. And the Philippians also contributed, the Macedonians, the Philippians contributed to something that took up Paul's focus uh, toward the, the end of his ministry, and that was the contribution for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. They had fallen on hard times, and so he was going around and collecting contributions from the Gentile churches to take them to Jerusalem for relief of the poor. Also, Christ has given every Christian spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And uh, going back to 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses, listen to the language he uses, He says in verse 10 of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder. Does that sound familiar? Bezalel and Aholiab. Like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, sound familiar? Hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And then he says, do you not know that you all are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So he's given us all gifts. And we can all have the same satisfaction or the same kind of satisfaction that they had. You remember contributing that stone and it becomes part of the the garment of the priest to carry into the presence of the Lord or, or, or... making that fabric that ends up in the Holy of Holies or, or contributing bronze that goes into the altar or gold that covers the, the Ark of the Covenant where God meets with his people, we can have that same sort of satisfaction with, with the offerings that we make and with the service that we render, that, that it did contribute. And this is not a boastful thing. This is a satisfactory thing saying something of mine, something that I was able to give or some work that I was able to accomplish with my hands, or with my voice, or with my feet, or with my shoulders, or with my mind, or whatever it might have been, contributed to the building up of the body of Christ and contributed to the extension of the gospel to those who have not yet heard. Now, I'm happy to say, I mentioned, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that we don't talk much about money here. We probably should talk about money more, because it's not unimportant. But I'm happy to say that the offerings of this church are more than enough. I'm not ready to say stop giving like they did then. But I have said that to some people because I, when I first got here, 
Some of the people that supported the work of the ministry in Mexico, they said, now where do we give? And I said, well, you can give to Florida Coast Church. But after a while, I wrote them and I said, you can keep doing this if you want. But the people of Florida Coast Church are sustaining the ministry here. And so if you would like to redirect your giving to a, a needier work, please feel free to do that. So that was something like Moses saying, you, you don't have to keep giving. Uh, to those who were from outside the church who were giving to contribute. And some of them still want to do that, and some people from outside the church continue to contribute to the ministry here. So I'm, I'm happy to say that, that, that the offerings from this church have been more than enough so far. So far, we've had a pretty mono, uh, modest, low-budget ministry, but so far they've been more than enough to carry on the work of the ministry and even contribute to missions to different parts of the world. Praise God, indeed. And in addition, in addition, there is a great spirit of service among us. There's a great spirit of service among us. We also, we don't talk much about money, but we're also, uh, you don't find us begging people to work because there's such a great spirit of service in this church. When there are needs, people respond to those needs and they serve. At the same time, I don't think we've yet reached the level of everyone offering according to their ability and everyone serving according to the gifts that God has given us. And so we can still grow. And in addition to that, there's always a shortage. Even if there's not a shortage here locally, there's always a shortage around the world for workers to take the, the gospel into the harvest field and for money to send them out. And so even if we have our modest needs taken care of here, we need to think globally and think about workers for the harvest field. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers to the harvest field. What do we need? We need people willing to go and we need money in order to send them and to sustain them in the long haul. So the remedy for this, this global shortage is for us to send our money and our members to the ends of the earth, towards which we have already taken some steps. Praise be to God. Now, an interesting question, going back to chapters 35 to, to 39, where in the world did these ex-slaves get all this money? Interesting, isn't it? The list of things. And, and some, some people have calculated how much gold and silver and, and bronze there was. And it was an, um, an immense amount. Where did they get this? Well, a couple of ideas. It doesn't say, but a couple of ideas. Uh, one's pretty clear and the other is, is possible. And that is, do you remember when they went out of Egypt? Do you remember the command? The people of Egypt were so alarmed because their, their firstborn had just died, and they, were, they said, get these people out of here. And it says back in chapter 12, verse 35, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered, that's the word used there, they plundered the Egyptians. And so they didn't go out poor, they went out, carrying the booty of plunder. And then they also had a war with Amalek. Now, they beat the Amalekites. It doesn't say, talk about booty, but that was part of winning war in those days. When you won a battle, you won a war, you took the goods as well. And so they were amazingly wealthy, these ex-slaves, and they were amazingly generous 
with their, their wealth that they had. But it's, it's interesting to note, we've done some romp through the Bible, haven't we? We've gone from Exodus to Revelation. Well, we're, we're kind of going to do that again, uh, at least Exodus to our time, because when we go back and look at how God builds his dwelling place, he does it always by plundering the nations of their most prized possessions. That's how he does it. Now, if you think about how he built the tabernacle, he did it by plundering the Egyptians. And then when you go to Solomon, where did Solomon get the, the, the timber? Well, he got it from the king of Tyre. He got the best of the timber to build the, the tabernacle or the temple by getting it from the, the nations of Tyre. And then, even more clearly, the reconstruction of the temple after it was knocked down by the Babylonians. The, the people were sent into exile. They were brought back. And now you have the Persians in control, and you have three successive kings. You have King Cyrus, you have King Darius, and you have King Artaxerxes. And you can look at these in Exodus, or I'm sorry, in Ezra. And we find King Cyrus commanded that the temple be rebuilt and that it be paid for out of the Persian treasury. Now pl- plundering the Persians. King Darius commanded that the surrounding nations, who were not happy at all with the reconstruction of the temple, that they pay for the reconstruction of the temple. And then King Artaxerxes and his officials contributed out of their own pockets silver and gold for the reconstruction of the temple, plundering the nations. Jesus told a parable in Mark chapter, very, very short parable, Mark chapter 3, verse 27, and said this, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. He doesn't explain it, but as we get the rest of the story, we find that the strong man is the enemy, Satan, devil, the slanderer, the, the one who opposes God and his people. And the stronger man is Jesus himself. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He bound. He bound the strong man. What did Jesus do at the resurrection? He tied up that strong man who had wielded over humanity the threat and the fear of death. And Jesus, by conquering over sin and by conquering over death, he wrapped that strong man up. And so he can do what now? Once the strong man's wrapped up, he can plunder his house. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's building the temple which is the church of Jesus Christ, by doing what? By plundering the nations. No longer of that cheap stuff like gold and silver and bronze and and onyx stones and so on. No longer that cheap perishable stuff, but plundering the nations of their people and bringing those people into this new temple. This is the language that that Peter uses in, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone, listen to the language here, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No more cheap construction going on here, folks. No longer that gold and silver stuff. But people, 
from all the nations being added like stones to this ever-growing dwelling place for God. Unlike physical tabernacles and temples, which once they're built, there's no more need or room for more materials in the in the dwelling place that God is building now, there's always room for more. There's always room to add to this glorious dwelling place that God is building by plundering the nations of people. But how are they going to be added? Well, they're going to be added by the same way that temples and tabernacles have always been built, by the contributions of God's people and by the the willing sacrificial work of God's people to go out and to bring the nations in. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that we've been able to start with with a tabernacle built in the wilderness and see how throughout your word it brings us all the way up to the new heavens and the new earth and also points to what we are and what we're about now, that we are your dwelling place and that your spirit dwells among us and that you're plundering the nations. And I thank you that we have a number of nations represented in this little church, that you have brought the wealth of the nations to our church and that into that new heavens and new earth, the nations will bring their wealth. Lord, we pray that you would multiply through our willing, generous hearts, multiply the contributions for the extension of the gospel and that you would multiply the workers for the harvest field so that all of those who are still outside would be added like living stones. Add more from Pompano Beach. Add more from Broward County, O God. Add more from Florida, from the United States, from this hemisphere and from the world. Add more to this temple that you're building. Bring them in, O God, and use us, our contributions, and our service so that we might have the satisfaction of of contributing to the building up of the body of Christ and for the bringing in of the nations. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.